So before we start, I just have to ask, is the kitchen really your kitchen? It is really my kitchen. That's yeah. awesome. That's so awesome. <laughs> it's like so perfectly a kitchen for this. It's so funny because everyone's like, well, we assumed you live somewhere in the Midwest because of your kitchen. I was like, oh, because I don't have a fancy enough kitchen for L.A. Like, I get it. I get it. There's not enough room on my counters for the bananas. They go on top of the fridge. Like, there's a flip and pull up bar in the background. It just makes me laugh. It's there's awesome. a lot of people who think Soros is paying for my green screen. And I always think, <laughs> dude, if I had a green screen, like there wouldn't be a pull up bar. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain. Ron previously served as Biden's Chief of Staff when Biden was Vice President in the Obama administration. A graduate of Georgetown University and Harvard Law, where he was editor of the Law Review, Ron worked in a private practice where he focused on constitutional and election law, was chief counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee when the Senator Joe Biden was chairman. He was chief of staff for Vice President Al Gore and acted as general counsel for the Gore Recount Committee in 2000. Ron was also an advisor for every Democratic presidential campaign from Bill Clinton to Hillary Clinton. And during his time at the Biden White House, Ron has been credited with keeping the turnover low and the drama even lower. After two years, the entire cabinet remains in place, giving the Biden administration the lowest turnover of senior staff in the modern era. We record this conversation on the Friday after the midterm elections without all the results being in. We still don't know who will control the House, but the Senate now seems to be safe in Democratic hands, with the Georgia race going into a runoff that could give us 51 seats. However, considering everyone kept telling us this was going to be a bloodbath, there was no red wave. This election is the best midterm performance in multiple decades from a first-term president. However it shakes out, the midterms were a good day for democracy. We might be in for a contentious two years, but then again, aren't we used to that by now? The bottom line is people took the election as their opportunity to register their distaste for extremism, election denialism, and political violence. They came out to vote for human rights and bodily autonomy in a proper functioning government. And if the country is sick, this feels a little bit like the fever might have broken. Are we out of the woods? Not by a long shot. But we certainly have lived to fight another day. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, lawyer, political guru, and the man that people can't stop putting in charge, White House Chief of Staff, Ron Klain. Welcome, Ron. Lee, thank you so much for having me. It's just a real pleasure to be here with you. Well, thank you for joining me. I'm such a big fan of yours. You're so down to earth and you always seem to grasp the real importance of the moment and what we should essentially be focusing on. And so let's talk about moving forward. Let's talk about these midterms. Yeah, I mean, obviously... A much better result than the pundits said we were going to get. And it's always good to be surprised on the upside. But I'll say we weren't really that surprised. I mean, I think we had a lot of confidence in three things. First, we've gotten a lot done in these two years. And while the country isn't where we want it to be, it is so much better off than it was two years ago. So much progress. Thanks to the work of President Biden, Vice President Harris, the Congress, all the people out there who rallied behind us for all these important achievements. All the voices like yours who've been lifting up those achievements. And so that's the first thing we had confidence in. We have a lot to talk about. The second thing is we had a lot of confidence in the idea that there were big things on the line and that we believe that the pundits were underestimating the American people. The American people knew that the Romans' right to choose was on the line in this election. They knew that fundamentally our democracy was on the line in this election. And when the president talked about those things, 
We, we knew he was talking about the right things. And even though there was some criticism on that, he was determined to bring that message forward. And I think the third thing we had confidence in was that this election was a choice, not a referendum. People looked out there and said, oh, you know, some things are tough in the country. Uh, the Democrats are going to lose. And we said, yeah, some things are tough in the country. But the voters are sharp enough to understand there's a choice. They may not like that we haven't really finished the job on inflation. We certainly have not. But they know we have a plan on inflation. They know we passed the Inflation Reduction Act. They know we're moving in the right direction. And the Republicans, by contrast, their proposal was to repeal the Inflation Reduction Act. How is that going to bring inflation down? By raising the price of prescription drugs, by raising what people have to pay for their drugs, by raising the price of, of clean energy and, and appliances, things like that. So you know, between our, the progress and the things we've done, the values we were fighting for, and the choice we offered the American people, we always thought we were going to do better than people thought. But I, I have to say, we've done even better than that. Yeah. I mean, I think people have to be reminded that the midterms traditionally go a certain way. History tells us the president's party loses a lot of seats in the midterms. And this is especially true in this kind of situation where the economy is having trouble. And because ultimately people don't care about statistics or or how we're doing compared to other nations, you know, that they care about what's happening in their own house and what they can afford in their own from their own wallet. Um, but from those of us who are watching, I know that I'm not of the pundit class, right? So what you were saying is, is so true. Like, if you're not in the legacy media and you don't subscribe to the way things have always been, we knew that traditional metrics weren't going to hold here. And these metrics broke the mold. As we record today, there is still a path for the Democrats to hold the House. Yeah. It could go to the Republicans, but not in the numbers that they needed to claim any sort of mandate. And we both know how hard it is to keep a limited minority in line. I think that Kevin McCarthy is going to struggle hurting this particular group of cats, if that's what it happens to be, right? And it looks like we're going to keep the status quo in the Senate. Senate, um, and with the Georgia runoff, we might actually get one seat. And that should be seen as a major victory for the president, because as we're saying, by all historic measures, the midterms are a referendum on who is in charge. And with inflation high and crime being up and Biden's approval ratings being down, which always shocks me because he's gotten so much accomplished, the Democrats should have been handed a massive loss. The Republicans were out there predicting they'd be winning 60 seats in the House and flipping the Senate. And that is not at all what happened, right? So I think we have to look at this as a victory, even if it doesn't feel, you know, like a victory. A victory feels like, oh, and I ran through the finish line and I went through this. That's not how politics works, unfortunately. It's a it's a drip by drip, movement by movement, quiet um, successes. But I think that the voters put mega authoritarianism on the defense. And that is definitely a testament to grassroots organizing and young voters starting to realize their power yeah. and people being tired of extremism. I think I think you put it really well when you said this is what the election is about, you know, despite the fact that traditional media is still looking at charts and trying to figure out what happened. It seems like the people really understood what was on the line. And as you pointed out, the Democrats took a lot of criticism for not focusing solely on the economy, but openly embracing issues like abortion and democracy and at the end, their social security. Right. But to me and, you know, the exit polls, that was a smart move. Well, look, and Leah, I think you saw it in some very unexpected ways. So what we're seeing in so many states where election deniers were the candidates for secretary of state, extremist yes. uh, traffickers in the big lie, you're seeing uh, almost in every one of those states that person losing 
and uh, the Democratic candidate winning. And what's interesting about that is you're not just seeing that outcome, which is impressive in and of itself. But in many states, these so-called down-ballot candidates are actually getting more votes than the upper-ballot candidates. You yeah. have many states where the Secretary of State candidate who wants to have faithful and real elections is outpolling the governor's candidate or congressional candidates. You never see that. I'm, I'm going to say this to people who don't follow politics that closely. This is something that never, ever happens. Now, why? Why did it happen? Because the American people came out and said, hey, you know what? We think democracy is very, very important. We may or may not agree with Joe Biden on everything. We may or may not agree with everything he's done. But when he stands up and says, hey, democracy is on the ballot, we agree with that. There's a lot of other issues we can debate over time, but democracy is a really critical issue. And uh, one by one, these hardcore MAGA extremist election deniers were rejected by the voters. And I, I think that's that's something we should all be proud of. I mean, we can do the counting of how many seats and how many this and how many that. But I think, uh, as the president said uh, on the Wednesday after the election, you know, uh, it was a good day for democracy. And that is a very important thing. It is a good day for democracy. And it's a huge step towards averting a huge crisis in 2024. If you put um, a bunch of secretaries of state who are election deniers in place, that would really affect the elections in 24. And as of now, at least four of the five swing states that decided 2020 now have non-election denier governors and secretaries of states. And that is a huge big deal for the health of democracy overall. I mean, personally, as a woman, I thought it was pretty insulting that people thought that gas prices were more important than my own personal human rights. But so did voters in Kentucky and Michigan and Vermont and Montana and California who were all voting to put reproductive freedom on their ballot and vote for it, right? So this wasn't just a one-off where a bunch of women were like, I'm mad and now I'm not mad anymore and we're not doing it. It was a continued effort where people saying, you know what, this is important. And the media telling us that we were out of touch and that people didn't really care about these issues anymore, that was not at all true. Across the country, millions of Americans saw this election exactly for what it was. It was between freedom and fascism, and they voted to protect American democracy. And like you said, people should be proud of that because this wasn't just organic. This happened because enough people put in the work to sell the message to the country that they understood what was at stake. And let's be honest, I mean, inflation is already beginning to cool, right? The consumer price index rose less than expected in October. And the indication is that while inflation is still a threat, it could be on its way down, which is kind of what the economists thought it would be doing. And I'm sure the Republicans thought they could breeze into power and be like, see, we did that. But that's not what they did. It's what... It's what is happening. And that's why we keep saying it's a global problem. It's an, you know, it's happening everywhere and it's cooling on its own. You know, I'm actually so proud of all of the efforts that the Democratic voters and the grassroots organizations and independent media and influencers have put in since 2016, but particularly in the past two years, because I believe there really is hope for a truly positive future for this country with enough time and hard work. And that's the thing. It's hard work. It's not an overnight change. I I agree. And I'll add one other thing, which is another reason for hope was the incredibly strong response and active participation of younger voters. Yes. You know, we saw young people, young people came out and they came out strongly. Now, again, I'm not a younger person. I used to be one. But, Me neither, um, Ron. Yeah. But, but but again, the kind of the fundamental rule, rule, if you will, in politics is that young people don't vote and that young people don't vote in midterms. And I will say we at the White House, we believe that would not be true. Young people had made a huge difference in 2020. 
And we believe they were not willing to give those gains back in 2022. And so the president had an aggressive agenda uh, aimed at trying to help younger people who are struggling with the pandemic. You know, people you know just coming out of school, just graduating from college or high school into a pandemic world. They've had a tough couple of years. And so the what did the president do? The president said, you know, we're going to tackle student loan debt relief and uh, took some heat for that, but said we were going to do that. Uh, he knew that for this generation, climate change was a very high priority. It should be a priority for all of us, but particularly for younger people, it's a high priority. They're going to have to live in this world with the changes. And he took bold historic action on climate change. He took action on marijuana reform. And uh, and a lot of other issues that matter. Like gun control. It's gun the control. first time we've made a real difference yeah. in, in that world. And these are the kids that have been shot up in their schools since they started. Yeah. And so I think seeing those young voters defy expectations, defy conventional wisdom, defy past practices, they actually, you know what, we are going to line up. And you saw these pictures all over the country of kids and colleges and young people, community centers, just in lines for willing to wait hours and hours to vote. Uh, I think that's that that should make everyone uh, super optimistic about the future uh, because the younger generation is not kind of turning out and tuning out and dropping out. They are getting more active than ever. They are making their voices heard and, and they are going to be hugely impactful uh, for a long time to come. And I think anyone that's paying attention can see that. I mean, it's quite clear that we can't just keep doing what we've always been doing. And the Biden administration has already made these changes in the past two years. But I think that's why it's showing that right now I'm looking at 78% of Gen Z voters voted blue. And with every election, there's only more of those voters coming in. My son is 14. He'll be voting in the next midterms, right? And he is so excited to do it. And these kids are engaged and they do care. And they don't want status quo. They don't want a burning planet. They don't want uh, their parents living with them because they lost social security. They don't want guns in their schools. They don't want any of this. And they know that they now have the power. I mean, if we only end up with 30% of Gen Z voting, look what they did with 30%. Imagine if they were at 50%, right? The Biden administration clearly understands this, which I think is so important. I mean, I was at the White House recently with you guys when you started to reach out to independent media and to social media influencers. And at the time, the president said, I want to start meeting people where they are, right? Yeah. And you guys can see that the majority of the country, especially the young people, aren't getting their news from traditional news sources anymore. And you wanted to find a way to reach out with them and connect, which I think is so marvelous coming from an older generation president who is speaking to a younger generation. I mean, it's tremendous. And I think this will only be more important moving forward, especially since traditional media is showing itself, in my opinion, to be quite out of touch. Well, look, I think we we want to communicate with everyone where we find them. And so we obviously do use traditional media and we do appear on traditional media and use that as a way to communicate with folks who consume traditional media. But there are a lot of people who do not consume traditional media, who get their information from all kinds of other sources, non-traditional media, new media, social media, of course. And so we want to try to be there, too. And uh, uh, we're on a number of platforms here at the White House, uh, social media platforms, but we're also uh, really grateful for the chance to speak to people through things like your podcast, Lee, and other people who are launching these new initiatives. And, and I think what's so important about it is, you know, we believe in participation. You know, we believe that the more people know, the more they're engaged, the more they're going to get engaged, and the better country we're going to become. Uh, look, and I, uh, I strongly support our policies. I'm proud of all of our policies. 
But in some ways, I'm even prouder still of the fact that we're the side that says, let's bring more people in and, and, and let's, let's take on the burden of persuading those people and, and trying to explain to them why we think they should join us in this effort to produce a better country, to build back better, as we say, to make sure that as we're coming out of this pandemic and we're getting our lives back to normal, uh, that normal doesn't mean just nothing changes. Normal means you know, better that we, you know, we, we, the president launched an economic strategy two years ago that was based on the premise that our economy should work for people from the bottom up and the middle out, not trickle down, not more gains for the rich. And he did something these past two years, Lee, that it's been decades since we've done as a country, which is he raised taxes on big corporations. And uh, people said, well, why are you doing that? Why are you raising taxes on big corporations? You're going to take a lot of heat and the big corporations will fight you and so on and so forth. And he said, but look, this is important. People need to believe that they're not, the working people need to know that they're not the only people paying the burden in this country, that we had we had 40 of the largest companies in America pay zero in taxes, even though they made a billion dollars or more each in profits. So, you know, we've taken on those fights. I've been in Washington for more than 30 years now. And as long as I've been here, people have said, hey, you know, someone ought to do something about big pharma. You ought, you ought to take them on. You ought to try to get drug prices down. You ought to like make them negotiate with Medicare for what they charge Medicare. Some people are like, you can't do that. Can't beat big pharma. Can't be done. You know, President Biden and the Democrats in Congress did it. And they stuck together and they took on big pharma. They beat big pharma. So I think that kind of energy, that willingness to take on these fights that have been left for a long time, to take on some very hard things, and then to have confidence that when the special interests run hundreds of millions of dollars of ads maligning these accomplishments, we could take our case to the American people and say, don't turn back, don't go back, and have the kind of results we had on Tuesday. You know, that's just incredibly gratifying and I think a good sign about the direction we're headed in as a country. We've been talking about defying the odds, holding the bad back with the good, which is why it feels appropriate that today's pod is brought to you by Aspiration Debit Card. Aspiration is a climate-friendly alternative to big banks. When you keep your money in most standard bank accounts, they're lending your deposits out to fuel oil and coal. If you switch to Aspiration, you're switching to the planet side. Moving $1,000 into an Aspiration Plus account has the same impact as driving 6,000 miles less. Plus, you can earn up to 71 times as much interest than you did in your old bank. Aspiration is fossil fuel free and lets you plant a tree by rounding up on every swipe of your debit card. Aspiration's goal is to help people align their money with their values, founding the planting of over 100 million trees with the goal of planting a billion trees by 2030. It's no wonder that Forbes and Nerd Wallet and The Penny Hoarder recommend Aspiration for the eco-conscious. Talk about voting with your wallet. Best of all, there's no credit check, no overdraft fees, and with Aspiration, you just pay what you think is fair, even if that's nothing, because they believe that money shouldn't stand in the way of doing the right thing. So make your dollars make a difference. Open an Aspiration account at aspiration.com slash tree. Help save the planet with an Aspiration debit card. Open your account at aspiration.com slash tree today. That's aspiration.com slash tree. Terms and conditions apply. Aspiration is not a bank. Deposits are FDIC insured up to $2 million per depositor. 
Now, my next sponsor, Nutrafol, is someone I was fascinated to work with because I know that hair growth and thickness is a major problem for a lot of people. Something that makes people feel uncomfortable and less secure and just generally unhappy. I'm basically Hermione Granger with the biggest head of hair you've ever seen, but people make comments all the time about how lucky I am, and I know it's true. 30 million women are impacted by weakened and thinning hair, and if you're one of them, know you're not alone. It's more than common. It's normal. But it's not something that people openly talk about. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. Nutrafol has been designed in three unique formulas to support women throughout all stages of life, including postpartum and menopause. Each formula is physician-formulated, using natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients in consistently effective doses so you get the most reliable results. In fact, in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. So you can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code POLITICSGIRL to save 15% off your first month subscription. This is the best offer anywhere and only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Nutrafol also offers free shipping on every order. That's $15 off at Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code POLITICSGIRL. It also goes back to what you're saying about Democrats want people to vote. They want to expand the amount of people that are having their voices heard, that democracy really is a participation sport. And that's in such contrast to what the Republicans are trying to do, which is to make it harder to vote, to make it more difficult to vote, to vote against the For the People's Act when it comes through Congress, to vote against making partisan gerrymandering illegal, to vote for big, big money in politics, because it makes it so less and less people's voices are heard because they know that that they're not reaching the people that they used to reach with ideas and messages. What do you think we should do with that information? What do we do next about that? The truth is, uh, and I know it's frustrating for people to hear this, the, the, the only way we fix this system is by people voting. And, um, and I know it's frustrating. People say, oh, I voted in 2020, and now you're telling me I have to do it again. Yes, I am. People have to do it again in 22. They're going to have to do it again in 24 and 26 and and so on and so forth. That is, look, we're grateful to have a democracy. Our obligation in the democracy is to vote, you know, and and you have the right to vote. And I think you have a bit of an obligation to vote. And and if we see the kinds of people turn out that we saw this time, we are going to make, be able to ultimately make some of these changes that you and I are talking about. You know, the only way to protect democracy is with democracy. Yeah, the only way to fix democracy is with more democracy. And and again, uh, you know, I I know people say, well, I I showed up and voted once, and so haven't I done my part? And the answer is no, you haven't done your part. Your part is continuing to uh, show up and vote again and again and again. And I hope people took some inspiration out of this past election and some uh, sense that, no, like, actually, I was reading in the newspaper that the cause was doomed and there was going to be a red wave. And there was, I was feeling powerless and I was feeling run down. And now I hope people feel empowered yeah. and like they can show up, they can speak, they can be heard and their voice and their vote can make a difference. 
And it absolutely can. I mean, just to speak to to your point about using democracy to make to have better democracy. I mean, that's how it's going to go. And we have to think of it like water on a stone, not like an immediate light switch fix. It's never going to be like that. And people need to get their heads around that. And I think most people that listen to this show do know that it's a continual effort. And I always say, we learn it so we can go out and tell our people, right? We're responsible for our people. I learn what the truth is. And then I say to my dad at the dinner table or my hairdresser or my person at the grocery store that's like, do I need to vote? You're like, yes, you do. And here's why, you know, once we understand, we can share that information with more and more people. I mean, but when I think about a fairer system, I think about Michigan, right? Like, I'm not sure people are grasping the enormity of the Democratic success yeah. in, in that state yeah. um, because the Democrats won the governor, the attorney general, the secretary of state. They run abortion rights voting amendment rights, a number of key state houses. But it's important to know that because Michigan uses a bipartisan election commission that was designed to end partisan gerrymandering. So the districts there are completely fair. And it's a model of what could be done nationally, but also an indicator of what happens when the majority sentiment is allowed to prevail. And I think that that's great. And that's what we have to kind of keep our minds on. The fact that there was no red wave is a great thing for democracy. But I think what people are going to find, no matter which way this goes, we have to say this was a victory. But I think people are going to find that if Kevin McCarthy ends up as Speaker of the House, people are going to struggle feel, feeling like it was successful, yeah. even though they can see that it didn't go the way it should have. They're still going to feel they're still going to feel yeah. burdened by that. Um, well, I, now, well, I think you're right about that, Lee. No, no, there's no question about that. Again, hopefully it will not go that way. The votes are still being counted, particularly in California. And so we'll see. But but I, I absolutely agree that that's uh, the way this comes out. It will feel less victorious. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. But I do want to go back to Michigan because Michigan is so interesting to me because it's not just how uh, you had this tremendous success for Democrats, but you also see in Michigan the chance for groups that really haven't had representation to be represented. Mm -hmm. uh, Michigan has a female governor, a female attorney general, a female secretary of state. They elected uh, for the first time ever, I believe, a woman as the state Senate president now coming out, this first African-American speaker of the House in Michigan. And so, you know, I, I think the other thing people should look and see in these states and some of these results is how people who have often been boxed out of power and boxed out of politics can actually show up, vote and see themselves in the government and see themselves in leadership. And uh, and I think that's that's just so important. We have the first two openly uh, lesbian governors in America got elected uh, in Massachusetts and in Oregon. Uh, and so you know, you're just seeing just uh, progress all around the country. And yes, there are definitely setbacks. And I, I agree with you. If it works out that the votes are tabulated and the Republicans take over the House, that is definitely a setback. There's no way around that. But but there are inspiring signs of progress. Yes. And indications of what we can do if we come together, make our voices heard, cast our votes, uh, the, the kind of incredible change that we can produce. Yeah. And I think people have to remember, too, that one thing we really have going for us, other than the terrific team in the White House and the expanded power at the state level, which people cannot look over, is that your administration has already passed so many wonderful things in the first two years that people will continue to see the benefits from right. in the next two years. You know, like with the Inflation Reduction Act and all the climate change stuff and the gun control stuff and the, you know, all the things you've already done 
we will start to see that. If, if I'm feeling like, oh, well, they have the house. And then I'm like, but this bridge is being built in my town. People yeah. are going to feel that um, in th- that change in their lives from the CHIPS Act and all these things that are going to happen, these new factories that will come up, that will be a success from the Democrats. And I think it will only serve us moving forward. Plus, if people are nervous, the Justice Department is completely separate from Congress, right? So the investigations that the Republicans have been promising will happen or shutting down things or shutting down J6 or all these things that they're talking about, impeaching Joe Biden, impeaching Kamala Harris, I don't know having a criminal trial for Fauci, this doesn't happen. The Justice Department is separate. They can have their own congressional investigations if they want to, but they'd have to get all their people on board to do it. And I think they're going to have a lot harder time than they think. And look, again, I think that one thing we saw, I think down the stretch in the campaign, one other reason I think the Republicans faded and didn't perform uh, as well as people thought they were going to, was they took their focus off of uh, arguments about how they were going to help America's families and yes. spent a lot of time attacking the president's family. And look, the American people have common sense that even those who are not as passionate uh, about our point of view as you and I are, I think uh, a lot of folks said, well, look, I just want someone to care about my problems, to care about the price of groceries, to care about you know how we get the price of gasoline down, to care about you know how we deal with climate change and the kind of planet I'm leaving for my kids. And if the Republicans are going to use whatever victories they achieve to just launch political attacks and just you know try to tear down the president, uh, I think they will pay a price for that. I think it will be unpleasant, of course, but I think they will pay a price for that. And I think the voters will react quite negatively to that. Uh, I also agree with you 100 percent, Lee, that uh, no matter what the final count is on these elections, we did pass some very significant measures the first two years Uh, that Joe Biden was president. And those measures, some of them have started to take effect, but some haven't yet. The Inflation Reduction Act, the the limits on the costs of prescription drugs, the ability of Medicare to do go toe-to-toe with Big Pharma, that doesn't start till January 1st. It's only seven weeks away, but still people haven't felt it yet. The CHIPS Act, the bill the president passed to restore America as a leader in high-tech manufacturing, making things here in America, creating jobs, six-figure jobs for people who didn't go to uh, college, you know, having great jobs you can raise a family on, making things here in America. Uh, those projects are just getting underway. The president went to a couple of groundbreakings, but groundbreakings aren't yet factories. Those will start to come next year. The infrastructure bill, we got some projects underway, but the really big projects that are going to put this country back at the top of the pile on our infrastructure and how we get goods to market, how we get rid of all the lead pipes that are still going into too many schools and too many homes in this country. That's all going to start to happen uh, next year. And yeah, so universal think, broadband. People are going to feel broadband. that when it ends up in their rural community. That's going to be something people can actually see yeah. happening. So I just think there's a, there's a lot of progress where we have kind of lit the match, but it really hasn't hit yet. And I think you're going to start to see that in 2023. I think that's going to remind people that, you know, when they come together, when we stand up, take on these special interests, when we make progress in Congress, we can actually change people's lives in a very real way, a way that will really touch them every single day. Uh, And that is coming no matter what the outcome uh, of uh, the final counts on these votes are. 
Yeah. And it'll remind people that government can be a force for good, that government can work. I think we've spent so long over the years saying government bad, government bad, you know, less government, less government. But government can be a true force for good if it's run by people who want it to be so. And I think that that's one of the reasons I want so much to keep you guys in power, because I really believe that that is what you want. You want government to be a force for good in people's lives. Finally, okay, from your perspective, what should people keep in mind moving forward? We don't know the results yet, but probably by the time this podcast comes out, we will. So what's on the Biden agenda moving forward? What do you guys see us going from here? Well, look, I think we've gotten a lot done, but yes. we have a lot left to do. Yes. And so uh, so obviously one important thing is what we were just talking about, which is implementing these laws we passed and making them work and producing the results. But we're not going to stop there. Look, we have to do more to protect reproductive freedom. Uh, we took strong administrative action to protect women's rights after the Supreme Court reached the Dobbs decision, but we have to do more in that regard. Keep keep that up and protect uh, those rights. We need to make more progress on what politicians call the care agenda, but what people call child care and elder care and 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 the and the the things they need to take care of their kids and take care of their parents. So people can work and be productive and they can feel confident that their kids and their parents are in a good place while they're at the job or doing whatever they're doing during the day. And and, uh, we we need to make more progress on that. That's a critical issue for our families and for our economy. Yeah, real people, real life, real issues. That's what we're actually dealing with here. Where does our kid go when we go to work? Exactly. We need, so we need to make more progress on that. Uh, You know, we've been trying very hard to deal with the cost of education, creating more opportunities for people. President's decision on uh, student loan debt relief is still tied up in the courts. We, we need to kind of fight our way through that. Uh, but then it's just part of an effort of making advanced education, higher education, more accessible to people, making community college free, uh, making job training more widely available and accessible. We have to have a workforce up to the challenges that we're going to face as a country and an economy. And again, that's not just sending everyone off for a four-year college degree. People who want that should absolutely be able to have that. But people who want a two-year degree or specialized training so they can get a particular job, they should have that too. We're for opportunities for everyone and and people being able to hit their stride uh, as they move uh, through life. And so that's something where we still have a lot more uh, work to do. And then we have a lot of work to do on on the global scene. We haven't talked about it much, but we've been this year, in the middle of the largest land war in Europe uh, since World War II, and uh, having to support democracy in Europe, having to make sure the Ukrainians have what they need to hold off the Russian uh, aggression, uh, that's going to continue to be a challenge and going to continue to need Americans to, to lead uh, and to help, uh, help our, our friends over there who are struggling with this uh, attack by Russia. Yeah, well, you guys have clearly got your hands full <laughs> at the White House. I mean, I know from my little perspective, I'm going to be working on messaging, on engaging people in the democratic process and inspiring more people to be involved because we can see you guys have a lot to do and you need the support of the people behind you. You need the wind at your sails, right? We need to support candidates and ideas that bring us closer to this more perfect union, this country that we tell everyone we are, this land of opportunity. Uh, we need to support the people that want to bring us there. And that starts with knowledge and understanding. And that's what I'm going to help with on my end. That's going to be awesome. my my thing there. So I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Ron. I'm such a big fan of yours. You're so good at your job and you're so committed to the country. I want to thank you for putting your heart and soul into this job that I know is so hard and also this nation. You're a real good egg. 
and a true patriot. And I'm, I feel really lucky to have you on our team. Thank you, Lou. I'm grateful to, to work at the White House with amazing colleagues, uh, so many uh, who you know aren't that well known, but who come to work every day and do amazing work on behalf of the American people. Uh, I'm just lucky to be part of that team to work for the president and the vice president. And we're grateful uh, for everything you do to bring uh, information to the American people, to engage people. You know, uh, I'm going to say something kind of wonky. Cynicism is asymmetric in American politics. And by that, I mean that when people get turned off, that's not something that affects both sides equally. Uh, it raises doubts about government. It benefits the people who want to see government do less. It benefits the people who want to see people tune out and let the special interests control the government. And so uh, everything we can do, everything allies like you can do to try to get people engaged, get people focused, uh, get people the information they need, it makes such a difference. Yeah, because it's by the people for the people. And I think that's essential that we remember that. Absolutely. All right, Thank Lee. You, Ron. Thanks so much. Have a great day. I know you're busy. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. So that was Ron Klain, White House Chief of Staff and firm believer in the American experiment. Ron reminds us that democracy had a good day on November 8th, but the work isn't done because the only way to really fix democracy is with more democracy. We have to care enough about our country to put in the continued effort to make it thrive. There are forces continually working against us, but if these midterms showed us anything, it's that they aren't as strong as they pretend to be. The future is ours if we want it. The president and his staff are looking out for us, so we need to look out for them. We have to continue to vote and expand the power of those who believe government can be a force for good, that change can actually happen, and that we can be better tomorrow than we were today. I want to thank Ron for joining us and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. No matter how the House ends up shaking out, our very worst instincts lost in this election. And that should energize us and keep us hopeful as we gear up to start all over again. The more we know, the more we grow, and the more we can change. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.